Welcome in to episode 27 of the Woolpig Weekly Podcast, your weekly source for all things Arkansas Razorbacks. Episode 27 is brought to you by University Traditions. Go check them out. They have several great Arkansas hat designs in their Fayetteville collection. You can use our promo code VSN, VSN15 to receive 15% off your order. So go check them out today. So we'll kick things off with some Arkansas football news as, you know, we welcome Seth back from a week break and uh, back to the show. So, you know, welcome back in, Seth. Thanks, man. Hated to miss out on last week, but part of life sometimes, you know how that goes, but glad to be back. Yeah. So we'll briefly cover a little bit last week, you know, football news we got. So, you know, as I mentioned last week, it seems like Sam Pittman has been taking notes from uh, Eric Musselman as far as working the transfer portals because Arkansas was busy last week as we brought in, you know, two tight ends with Marquise Gums recommitting after decommitting a few weeks ago. And we brought in Louisville transfer Francis Sherman. We were brought in a defensive line transfer from Louisiana Tech. And then we also brought in three additional defensive backs from TCU and a couple of JUCO guys. So, you know, we're still filling out that DB room. And then two more additions to Arkansas is 2024 athlete slash running back Jaden Ball commits to Arkansas. He was a player, three-star player out of Georgia who committed to Arkansas over Georgia and a few other programs. So that's good to see Arkansas going into other states and getting some good recruits out of there. And then we also had Amari Wiggins, a coveted JUCO offensive line commit to Arkansas out of the transfer portal over the weekend as well. So, you know, Sam Pittman's keeping at it. So, you know, what do you think about all these commits and how Sam Pittman's been working the transfer portal so far? Well, I'm, I mean, it's kind of similar to what everybody's seen in basketball. Obviously, uh, <laughs> it's almost like every offseason now is going to be a, some form of free agency in a way, um, you know, kind of similar to NFL, things like that. Um, maybe not quite to that extent, but it's definitely, definitely close. Um, <clears throat> I think the main thing is they're just – it definitely provides teams like us that – that sometimes struggle to fill certain positions. I, I, really, the transfer portal is great for teams like us. I actually think it's it's better for teams like, you know, Arkansas, maybe some of those like mid, not quite your uh, perennial uh, powerhouse schools. I mean, I, I want to consider us a powerhouse, but, I mean, we, we kind of got to be real. Sometimes we're not quite in that that upper echelon with the, the Georgias, the Clemsons, the Alabamas. Um, but I think really the transfer portal – help schools like us out more than it does, you know, those schools like Alabama, for example, um, where they, they basically have the, the pick of the crop, you know, coming out of high school and they, they basically can get anybody they want that way. And then the way the transfer portal is working now, it seems like we're able to, you know, go out and pick up some of those guys that maybe had a little bit of a harder time getting playing time at some of those other schools that, you know, 10 years ago, they would have never even had the opportunity to really play much anywhere at all the way the transfer system worked back then. So, think it's a good thing for players I think it's a good thing for for schools kind of like us um obviously Pittman has done a great job so far uh restacking us up where we kind of had some holes um I think really that 2024 athlete commitment I I saw him I I thought he got flexed up to a four star um that that may be incorrect but I, I thought I saw that um on a website the other day but anyway um being able to kind of combine the the transfer portal with obviously just the high school recruiting trail so far, it seems like they're doing a great job up on the Hill. Yeah, that's very true. And I think it's like you mentioned, you know, you see guys that, you know, even like at these programs, like our, you know, Alabama and Georgia, you know, that are super talented, but you know, there's a five-star guy sitting third string on the depth chart. You know, it makes sense for them to leave and come somewhere, say like here, Arkansas and have success. I mean, you see, saw that last year with Drew Sanders, who, you know, was a starter at Alabama, got injured and, you know, got back healthy. And then his spot was already taken by somebody else that stepped up in the next man up role. And so, you know, he left and came to Arkansas and, you know, had a great season here. And I think, you know, we have the potential to see that with, you know, Singletary that's coming in from Georgia. He's a five-star DB that's coming in that, you know, he was a freshman at Georgia. And you know how Georgia is loaded with their defense. So, you know, I think he's a guy that can come in and be able to commit or commit and, you know, be able to have an instant impact. Yeah, that's a great point. I I think it really just provides a little bit of um, balance uh, to the college football 
world um, that that really was kind of lacking there for years. I mean, you, you can argue, you know, kind of for or against the NIL system all you want. I I have my own opinions there. Um, but just the the way the transfer portal system works, where you don't have to sit out a year, you know, all that kind of stuff, and it just makes it easier for for players to be able to go showcase their talents um, and actually try to get a shot at the NFL. I mean, really, that the Drew Sanders situation is a prime example of that. Um, and really, Jaden Hazelwood. I mean, I know he didn't have just an, an absolutely breakout year with us, but he did have a solid year, and I think he got more playing time here than he would have got if he'd stayed at Oklahoma. Um, so he's he's another good example. I mean, it's you're seeing how all these opportunities are are actually helping out the players, and I think that's that's definitely been a good change by the NCAA. Yeah, and and I agree, and I think that's one thing you're going to see as you know this portal program and the NILs grow. You know, you're going to see different things like that happen. But yeah, I think you know with Pittman the way he's running this program, I think he's you know got Arkansas headed in a great direction. You know, and it, I think Arkansas has the potential for a great year if we can you know just stay healthy. I think you see that last year where there's three games that come to mind last year. If KJ would have been healthy, we would have had two to three more wins on our you know record. So it's one of those things. You can't necessarily control the injuries, but you can control your depth, and that's what you see Sam Pittman doing, bringing in some additional depth, especially at that tight end spot that you know we've talked about before. We've got a lot of young, talented players. Well, he's brought in two guys that have college experience, can bring in some leadership to that young tight end room that – you know. and I've seen Varkey's Gums, the North Texas transfer tight end, predicted to be a potential breakout you know, player for Arkansas this year. We'll have to see because he'll have a lot of competition with Ty Washington, Haas, and especially, you know, in-state recruit that's coming in over the summer, Shamar Easter. I expect him to shoot up the depth chart pretty fast with just, you know, his raw overall talent from what I've heard is, you know, he's just – he's all there for what you expect when you see him. Yeah, I've got high hopes for the way we're able to utilize all those guys. I mean, it – it's really going to provide that level of competition for those, those starting spots. And even those, you know, those kind of secondary spots. And I'm, I'm not really sure we've had that um, a whole lot in the past, maybe in a couple of positions, but not just a ton. Um, and really that, that in program competition is really how you bring out the best in your players. So it's, it's great to see that. I mean, heck we've, in my opinion, we've actually got one of our deeper quarterback rooms that we've had in a long time. Um, and so, I mean, it kind of helps out that situation where if, if KJ is banged up for a game and has to miss a game, you, you've got a couple of pretty solid options to go to. Whereas the last few years, I mean, I don't want to say you haven't had the best options, but I mean, maybe, maybe not the greatest as far as arm talent goes. So we've made some improvements there. So I, it's like you said, you can, you can definitely control your depth. Can't always can control the injuries, but controlling your depth is definitely a good way to mitigate that. I think the greatest thing I've seen for me is, you know, you clearly saw we had a problem in the secondary last year, and, you know, Pittman has definitely went out and addressed that, especially with, you know, three more additions to the DB room, especially with the news coming out of, you know, there I'm hearing more and more that there's a very high chance that McAdoo's going to have to miss the season. You know, I, I don't think he's necessarily been released from the hospital to my knowledge he might have been but from what i'm hearing is he's probably not going to be here this year so bringing these guys in you know to fill in roles is definitely going to help especially with guys who brought in end of the year last year over the summer and then just here in the past few weeks i think we're, we're setting ourselves up to be deep but also like we said have that depth in case we do run into injuries again that's very true it's about all you can ask for from a coaching's perspective on reloading <laughs> Yeah, and so we'll hop over to basketball news where last week we had three Arkansas players participate in the NBA Combine. You had Anthony Black, Nick Smith, and Jordan Walsh all participate in the NBA Combine last week where, from what i seen, you know, Anthony Black and Jordan Walsh both had great workouts and everything. I know Nick Smith was just interviewing with teams and not going through workouts. As I think he might be trying to, you know, just make sure he keeps that knee healthy. But out of the three of those, I think – you got to applaud Jordan Walsh for what he's done as as far as improving his draft stock. And he's a guy that the more we hear about that improvement, you know, I think the likelihood that he returns to Arkansas is gradually decreasing day by day as, you know, he's had these great workouts and these great 
games in the NBA Combine, five-on-five matches. So, um, but as far as you're talking about the draft, on the flip side of that, it was announced over the weekend, Houston transfer that Tremont Mark that decided to test those NBA waters will be returning to college and will join Arkansas for next season. So I think that's a big, big news for Arkansas as, you know, he's an experienced player that's been in the tournament, you know, been on a deep run on a winning team that has, you know, sat at number one in the polls for a lot of the year. So, you know, I think that'll be bring some good experience to Arkansas along with some of the youth that we have coming in. I'm excited to have him on the Hill, man. I've actually seen some of his highlights and he's, I think he's going to fit in great with our system. Yeah. And then, you know, another news that came out today was finally after a long awaited, you know, two or three weeks, possibly a whole month, you know, five-star number two ranked player, Ron Holland has finally got his release from Texas. And from what I've read is he will be uh, speaking with the G league ignite tomorrow. So we'll be we're recording this on Tuesday the twenty third. So Wednesday the twenty fourth, he'll be meeting with the NBA G League Ignite. So I expect his decision will probably come pretty soon as whether he wants to go G League or come to Arkansas. But you know, I think that'd be big for him, and you know, especially in the state of Arkansas, for him to say I'm coming to Arkansas and see him in a Razorback jersey next year. It's it's going to be unreal if they can somehow find a way to, to get him on the hill also. Uh, it, <laughs> plenty of time is going to be hard to come by for, for a lot of the guys there, that's for sure. I mean, there's there's so many talented guys coming in. Uh, you know, Bayfall, some of these freshmen that are highly touted, five stars and stuff. I mean, if you somehow are able to add Ron Holland to that list, I mean, the possibilities are endless. It's almost like the team we had at the start of this past year. I unfortunately, had a couple of injuries that really – nicked away at our depth um but at one point i felt like we legitimately had two starting five uh rotations nearly you had you had that many players that were on that type of a level you you basically could have ran two starting fives out there but um curious to kind of see how everything shakes out with ron hall and i know there's a lot of curiosity up in there around him yeah that's very true and i think you know in my opinion when you look at it too you know you're going to get paid in the g league of course but if you think about it what would it be worth to sacrifice maybe a little bit of a paycheck, get a good NIL deal here at Arkansas, but to be able to come play in college in packed, you know, you know, almost full capacity crowds compared to, you know, NBA G League games don't necessarily get a ton of attendance. I mean, you, you'll you have some people that come to watch. You'll have coaching staffs for NBA teams come and look that possibly won't call you up. But, you know, you could, you know, still come and play at Arkansas, make a decent chunk of money and play in front of packed up you know, a packed Bud Walton arena that, you know, would be a crazy environment to get, you know, your feet wet in before, you know, being a one and done and heading to the league. Yeah, that's, that's pretty true. I, I think a, there's a lot to be said there for, for playing in college, especially if you're kind of that one and done level about like growing your brand. And I know that kind of sounds like a cliche, but you get so much, you get so much more exposure in, in college, um, especially college basketball, if you're, you know, one of those really highly touted guys um, than you would in the G League for a year. Obviously, if he, you know, makes his way all the way up to the NBA very rapidly through the G League, I mean, I I can understand going that route and the, the benefits around that. But there's definitely a lot of um, market share to be had just, just being involved in college athletics, um, especially with the way the NIL works nowadays. I mean, you can you can make a lot of money off your likeness whether that's, you know, sponsorship programs or <laughs> selling signatures, what what have you. Uh, but there, there's definitely a lot to be said for being able to, like, grow your brand, especially with a significant fan base like the U of A has. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited to see kind of where everything shakes out there, and he's definitely got a lot of decision-making ahead for sure. Yeah. And so the only other two decisions we'll be really waiting on, and, you know, as far as looking at – how our roster is going to shake out is going to be, you know, you've got Devo Davis and Jordan Walsh, like we mentioned, Walsh most likely will be staying in the draft, but Devo's one of those kind of an unknown right now, just because he's got, I believe it's eight more days till the 31st to, you know, decide what he wants to do, whether he's going to keep his name in, you know, whether he wants to come back to college or even possibly go play overseas ball, like, you know, several players will go do, and then they'll bring be 
brought over to the league in some type of role player type of, you know, scenario. But he's a guy that, you know, you heard David on last week's episode where he he's pretty confident that Devo's coming back. And I think that would be good for Arkansas. You know, he could bring some senior leadership to this team. And, you know, he's been to the tournament three times now, be able to help some of these young guys understand what's expected, you know, what needs to happen for us to, you know, make a run again. Yeah, he's uh, he's notorious for playing on a different level when it comes to March. Be nice to have that, you know, come right back. I mean, you could you could really take his leadership and run a long way with it. I think he really last year he really stepped into that role towards the end of the year. If you could bring him back and him kind of be in that same mindset, that leadership role from the get go, I think it took him a little bit to kind of really fully feel comfortable in that role, if that makes sense. Um, but if you get him back and he kind of starts from day one, kind of in that leadership, fired up every night, you know, making sure everybody's kind of all on the same page as far as their intensity goes, I think there's there's potential to have an even better year next year than we had this year. Yeah. And if we're being honest, you know, March Devo is the ultimate Devo, as you can, you know, have seen in years past, especially in that Kansas game this year where, you know, he just flat out took over that game. So, you know, if we could, he could come back and kind of harness that, play that he's had in March and, you know, spread it over a full season, I think he would have an incredible season next year too. I agree. And so with that, we'll take a quick break here before we jump into some Arkansas softball. You know what I like? I like to be comfortable. I also love representing my favorite sports teams. And in the clutch, I am able to have the best of both worlds. In the Clutch Apparel is your one-stop shop for all things sports. They have officially licensed gear from all your favorite teams and players from the NHL, MLB, NFL, and more. They have sports classic tees from yesteryear and beyond. Check out their full website in the link down below. When you enter the promo code Variety Sports, you get 10% off everything site-wide. Feel comfortable with your sports apparel and go over to their website now at intheclutch.com. And don't forget to use our code Variety Sports to get 10% off. All right, we're back here and we'll jump into some Arkansas softball where Arkansas hosted, you know, for the second year in a row, a regional in the NCAA softball tournament where they were, you know, trying to get to Oklahoma City for the Women's College World Series. And so Arkansas started out with their first game. Well, they matched up against Harvard on the May 19th, where they won this game 11-0 to in five innings, so another run rule game for the Arkansas Razorbacks, which it seems to be have been a common theme for this season for Arkansas. And you had Hannah Cammons in get the start in the circle today with going full, those full five innings, allowing one hit, zero runs, and two strikeouts on 67 pitches, so a very efficient game for her. You know, Hogs had 11 runs on 11. 11 runs on seven hits in that game where Reagan Kramer had a career high three hits for a career high three RBIs batted in. And she also had the highlight play of this game where she had a walk off grand slam in the bottom of the fifth to kind of seal this win for Arkansas and advance them on to the next, you know, game of this regional tournament. And then you also got to talk about Hannah Gamble, who also had a solo home run in the third inning of this game as well. So, you know, Arkansas easily cruised to a win in this their first opening round matchup with Harvard, and um, we'll jump over to the next game, next day's game where they took on Oregon, and you know it's a little bit of a different story where Arkansas lost this game ten to four. You know if you remember, you know Arkansas beat out Oregon last year in our regional tournament, so a little bit of a revenge game for them where it just seems like they had Dallas's number this whole game. She she only went four in a third inning. Allowed seven hits, four runs, only two strikeouts on 57 pitches. So, you know, if you, you know, you've heard our show before, you've seen Delsa's stats before, you know, this is a fraction of what she usually goes, but, you know, they just seem to be able to key in on everything she was throwing. And, you know, we had to make that change where she was relieved by Hannah Kaminson, who, you know, they kind of found her number as well, where she only went a third of an inning, allowing three hits, five runs, two walks, and one strikeout on 37 pitches. And Callie Turner finished up this game going two and a third innings with three hits, one run, zero walks, two strikeouts on 42 pitches. So a tough day for Arkansas in the circle. And when you flip over to the offensive side of the game, Arkansas, Kylie Howerson had three RBIs going one for two at the plate. 
And you also had Reagan Johnson, Reagan Kramer, and Ryland Hedgecock, all with two hits in this game. So kind of a tough day in the circle for Arkansas in their second-round matchup. You know, what what are you seeing from these stats here, Seth? Man, I, you know, we'll kind of cover the, the next two games of this regional, too. And a little bit unfortunate, but uh, it seemed like we were able to hit the ball. Just It just wasn't like they came in bunches how they needed to, like we sometimes – had seen throughout the year, and then the obviously the most uncharacteristic thing for us was we just really struggled in the circle with our our, our starting pitchers that we've kind of ridden all year long. This Janice has definitely been our workhorse. Uh, Camden has been great. I mean, they just I, honestly you got to give a lot of credit to Oregon here. They really come in. I think they they watched a lot of film. They were understanding what to expect out of our pitchers. I think they uh, they came in with a with a big. Uh, sight on us, you know, kind of trying to get some revenge from last year. So we had a big target on our back, and Oregon really came through. Got to give them their credit. Yeah, and that's one of those things where, you know, you hate to see a team like, you know, Arkansas lose, especially dropping into that, you know, um, loser's bracket kind of side of the regional where, you know, that makes it a lot tougher for, you know, teams to – you know, get back to winning that regional, especially because they're going to have to win, you know, their, those next three games all in a row. And whereas the team you're going to face, it gets to, you know, rest for a couple games. So, you know, with Arkansas falling into that loser's bracket side of the regional, they took on Notre Dame on the 20th, the same day as that after they lost Oregon, where, you know, this is a winner go home situation for Arkansas. And they won that game five to zero. Um, where Janice Delson, you know, came back out and looked like her normal self, where she went seven innings in this game, allowing only three hits, zero runs, one walk, and seven strikeouts on 99 pitches. So what's your, that's your typical stat line you're used to seeing for Arkansas. And then you had Ryland Hedgecock, you know, do her thing again where she had a three-run home run in the seventh to kind of help cement that victory for Arkansas. And she finished the game with a career high three for three at the plate. So this is kind of what you're used to seeing out of an Arkansas team, you know, on a regular basis. And then so that kind of set up the big matchup on Sunday where Arkansas took on Oregon and it was going to have to win two of two games to advance out of our regional and make it the Supers where unfortunately Arkansas season kind of ended here where they lost to Oregon 14 to four and in five innings. You know, Chanice Dells came out. Of course, who are you going to go to in a key situation but your workhorse? Um, she went three innings, five hits, five runs, three walks, one strikeout on 60 pitches. So it's like we mentioned earlier, they just seemed to have her number, like Seth said, watched a lot of film, you know, kind of knew what she threw, you know, was able to key in on it very well. And so she was pulled and relieved by Callie Turner, who went one inning, allowed three hits, two runs, and 16 pitches. Robert Heron went one third inning, two hits, three runs, one walk on 18 pitches. And then Hannah Kamzin finished up the final third of an inning, allowing three hits, four runs, one walk, and 18 pitches. And the the one offensive stats you've got to talk about out of this game is Hannah Gamble, you know, came out and had a three-run home run in the third to tie it up four to four, trying, you know, really hard to keep Arkansas in this game. But unfortunately, Arkansas season fell short you know, in this game and, you know, we'll be back strong next year. You know, we're losing a few seniors, but, you know, Arkansas had a 40 win season and that's no easy feat, especially in today's softball realm. So, you know, what would you say to wrap up Arkansas softball season? Well, I, you know, it wasn't really a finish that we wanted. I think everybody expected us to at least make it out at regionals and get to supers. Um, and from there, you know, who knows, but, um, Oregon, like I said, they definitely had our numbers, so you got to give them their credit. They they did the the work and they come in and really, you know, we had that target on our back and they they really come in and and hammered us. But um, as far as the overall season goes, man, I mean, I, I feel like the season was a success, especially considering how many freshmen you have on this team. I mean, this this team's going to be good for a long time. I mean, they had a great year, and yeah, you had a couple of seniors that that helped carry us, but you had a lot of freshmen that were getting some great in-game reps that are going to be able to build off of that going into next year. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they have an even better year next year as far as season record goes. And then obviously I hope they make it out of regionals next year and can get all the way to the World Series and stuff. But um, definitely don't don't think we should be, you know, pouting or anything like that on the way this year went, especially considering how young this team is. 
Yeah, that's true. And I think when you got to look at it with the season over, you got to look at players you're going to be losing and which I think we've seen, you know, some bright spots for, you know, people that, you know, players that are going to step up next year for our pitching staff as, you know, this was Delta's last run as she was a senior this year. You know, she was drafted in two different professional softball organizations. So, you know, she wanted to do everything to make that run. And I think she's she's easily cemented her legacy here at Arkansas with, you know, how she's performed. And I believe other seniors will be losing is Christina Foreman, the transfer from Duke that came in. I believe Callie Halverson will be gone as well as Rylan Hedgecock, who, you know, made the most of her year at starting in Arkansas, you know, where she sat out behind, you know, a few players over a couple of years, but, you know, came in and, you know, showed what she could do. So, you know, we're going to miss those players, but I think we've got a lot of youth on this team that has set Arkansas up in a good spot for, you know, the next few seasons. Very true. We'll uh, flip the script here and uh, look at Arkansas baseball. Where over the past weekend, um, we took on Vanderbilt in our final SEC conference, or excuse me, final SEC uh, showdown of the year, where I think they the guys covered game one last week. Um, so we'll kind of jump in at game two on uh, the 19th, where Arkansas unfortunately lost this game in heartbreaking fashion, 10 to 8. Um, we'll kind of cover some of the, the gory details on that in a moment. But Brady Tiger got to start in this game. <clears throat> Still on a little bit of a, uh, a pitch count. But he went four innings, looked very, very good, had uh, two hits, two runs. He, he gave up two solo home runs, but that was the only the only way that uh, Vanderbilt was able to score early on. Zero walks and seven strikeouts on 62 pitches, so he had a pretty good outing. And he was relieved by Zach Morris, who uh, went three innings, zero hits, only one walk, and six strikeouts on 42 pitches. So he's kind of getting his groove back. It seems like he's had several good outings in a row now, so glad to see that for Zach Morris. Um he was relieved by Gage Wood, and unfortunately, this is kind of where everything started to unravel on us. You know, we had seven really solid innings of, of play. We were up eight to two at this point, and um, Gage Wood came in, um, only made it through a third of an inning. He gave up three hits and five runs. Um, he had one walk on 20 pitches, so the wheels kind of started to spin there, and then he was relieved by Cody Adcock, who didn't even – recording out if I remember correctly he had one hit um, with, for two runs and one walk on nine pitches and then he was relieved by Parker Coyle um, for the remaining two-thirds an inning um, gave up a hit and a run one strikeout on 11 pitches just kind of the wheels fell apart on us on this one we had a pretty solid lead going into the eighth and and um, Vanderbilt put up an eight spot on us but flipping over to the, the offensive side of things <clears throat> he had a couple of highlight plays and couple of really solid outings. Brady Slavens and Caleb Kelly led the team with three hits apiece. Um, both scored a pair of runs each, and, and both of them also had an RBI apiece. Um, Jace Borfin actually kind of got things started off in the first inning with a solo home run. And then Peyton Holt, he had a great day at the plate, going two for three with four RBIs, um, three of which came off of an absolute moonshot home run in the sixth inning to put us up 8-2 at that point. And, you know, I kind of covered it before we just – melted down in the eighth inning and unfortunately Vanderbilt was able to make a uh, very improbable comeback to to steal this game away from us and then Caleb I'll uh, I'll let you cover game three and then we can discuss the series as a whole yeah so going into game three that that rubber match for Arkansas where you know that there was some implications on this game where Arkansas you know if they were to get this win here they'd clinch the SEC outright as a whole you know, winning the conference, but unfortunately Arkansas lost this game in a close one, seven to six, where Hunter Holland got the start in this game, you know, only went two and a third, two and two thirds innings along eight hits, four runs, three strikeouts on 55 pitches, you know, maybe not necessarily getting to go as long as, you know, we thought he might, especially on a short, short week's rest where this is, you know, a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. So not even a week's rest for him after that, you know, amazing game he had against South Carolina. And so he was relieved by Will McIntyre, who came in for two and a third inning. You know, allowed one hit, zero runs, one walk, two strikeouts on 32 pitches. You had Parker Coyle come in for a third of an inning, allowing three hits, three runs, one strikeout, and 18 pitches. So, you know, two back-to-back games where he he really struggled here um, at the, you know, on, on the mound. So maybe he, we can get things figured out before, you know, regionals come around and then he was relieved by Gage Wood who 
Two went two and two thirds innings long, zero hits, zero runs, one walk on fourteen pitches. So a little bit better outing, a much shorter outing for him. But uh, you know, at least he was able to kind of get back on track here. And then Cody Adcock came in to finish off the final two innings with zero hits, zero runs, one walk on two with two strikeouts on twenty four pitches. So in this game, Brady Slavens led the team with three hits. And again, Peyton Holt had a great day at the plate, going two for four with an RBI, and this was his fifth consecutive multi-hit game. So, you know, tough, tough rubber match game for Arkansas where they fell in this one. But I think this is, you know, where you start to see some of that youth in the pitching staff, you know, rear its head a little bit, and you know, the struggles with the, and the closing innings of both game two and game three here. Yeah, I, I don't want to hit the panic button or anything like that too early. Uh, you're going to have some games like that because I mean, you got to look at Gage Wood for example. He's been great for us pretty much all year, um, especially the last mm, five series or so. He's he's really been phenomenal. He's been kind of in that closing role. He's really stepped stepped into that role well. Um, I didn't have his best series against Vanderbilt. I mean, that's going to happen from time to time. I'd rather it happen, you know, in the regular season than when you're in regionals. So maybe. Maybe it's kind of a good learning experience for everybody to have just this this one little blip of adversity right before you go into the postseason. Um, maybe kind of shake a little bit of that off, learn from it, and move on and play even cleaner going forward. We'll see. You know, baseball is always a funny game when it comes to things like that. You never know kind of which way the, the coin's going to flip for you. Um, but overall, I don't I don't think I don't think you can really say we played bad against Vanderbilt. I, I thought we actually outplayed them pretty much the entire series. We just had, you know, two, maybe three innings where stuff didn't really go our way and it went, it didn't go our way really, really bad in those innings. So I think we won, you know, the majority of the innings against Vanderbilt. It was just a couple of them that really got to us. They ended up costing us two games. Uh, if you can clean up a couple of those bad innings like that, you know, we really, we really did play pretty good baseball this whole weekend. That's very true. And I, I think, you know, you know, people want to harp on that we lost the series, but you know, you gotta look at the the positive things that came out of this series, you know, with the news before the series coming out of Stovall missing the rest of the season, you know, you love to see this emergence of Peyton Holt, you know, stepping in at second base, you know, filling in for an injured Stovall where he's performed really well. You know, you look at this just this series alone, you know, five consecutive multi-hit games dating back to the series against South Carolina. And, you know, he's just stepped up his game. And it's like, you know, that quote by Dave Van Horn, that's my backup, but also not necessarily just a backup, but that's a future star right there. And I, I think he, he hit that on the head right there with the performance you've been seeing by Holt. And let's just, you know, I'm confident he'll keep carrying that momentum into the postseason play. But also, like you said, I'm glad to see, this kind of struggles in the pitching staff happen now than in postseason play, but you've got to still, you still got to consider at the end of the day, even though we lost this series, Arkansas still won the SEC West, you know, after, if you would have told me that after our first couple of SEC series where we started out a little, you know, rough, I would have told you that's not going to happen, but Arkansas was able to turn it around on the back of, you know, a genius mind like Dave Van Horn and, you know, be co-SEC conference champs, sharing that with Florida, who ended up winning the East, but, you know, solidified that number two seed going into the SEC tournament. But, you know, we mentioned that, you know, the, you know, way Dave Van Horn's handled the season due to all the injuries, and I think that's shown he's starting to finally get some accolades for that, where, you know, he was named 2023 SEC Coach of the Year, rightfully deserved, you know, and, you know, Dave Van Horn being the humble man he is, you know, in a a short clip where they let him know he won that. He said, you know, I hate it being called coach of the year. They should call it SEC coaching staff of the year just because he said none of this would have been possible without, you know, all the guys on his staff, Matt Hobbs, you know, Nate Thompson, you know, several other guys that don't get as much recognition as you think they would. Um, and I think that just tells you a lot about the man Dave Van Horn is. And so, you know, I think it's good to see going down the stretch. And I think, Hopefully, we just see more from that as we go into postseason play. Yeah, that's pretty true. I, I'm happy to see him get that recognition. It's uh, definitely good on his part to kind of pass that along to the rest of the coaching staff. But overall, man, I mean, kind of like you said, I, early on in the year, I would have, I would have 
struggled to believe that we would have come out champions in the West. And not not really by the way we were playing at the beginning of the year, just the way some of the other teams in the SEC were playing. You had LSU go off to like – I mean, they had a historic start. You had South Carolina kind of off to a historic start. Vanderbilt was like kind of off to a historic start. Um, and and those, those teams kind of came back to earth to a degree. Um, which really helped us out. You know, it's, you always hear that age-old adage about slow and steady wins the race. I mean, I think you can look at this regular season and really that that kind of shines through for us. I mean, I felt like we were we were never really like that that flashy highlight team quite as much as maybe a few of those others were. Um, but whenever some of the hits stopped coming for those teams, you know, we just kind of kept on plugging along and just slowly worked our way to the top of that, that leaderboard and wins. So that's really a testament to Van Horn. Um, honestly, that's that's really just kind of the way he is as a coach, and that really just kind of shines through into the way we play baseball as a team. Um, so that's it's pretty kind of a cool story, kind of how that all came full circle for us this year, especially considering how some of the other SEC teams were so um, fireworks and sparklers and all that, you know, kind of to start the year out. Just for us to be able to weather that whole storm and, and come out kind of on top is pretty impressive. That's very true, and I think it's just a testament that, you know, you knew there were going to be growing pains from last year considering what we lost, you know, not only last year losing, you know, Peyton Paulette, he was injured last year, but, you know, decided to go ahead and go pro and not come back. You, you know, you lose Connor Nolan, you lose Michael Turner, you know, you lose several guys, you know, Caden Wallace, that were a key part of that team last year, and you had several newcomers this year that had to find, you know, their role within this team and, you know, there was going to be growing pains, which there were at the beginning of the season, you know, dropping some games, some maybe midweek games or some games in a weekend series that maybe you shouldn't drop. But I think that all, like, you know, Seth mentioned, you know, we slowly and steady, you know, everybody found their spot. You know, they started performing the roles they were, they were meant to, you know, come in and support. So, you know, I think that's one thing where – we're kind of essentially peaking at the right time here going into regionals and postseason play time. But you've also got to, you know, recognize guys that, you know, we had a a few guys that were all SEC honorees this season. You know, when you're talking about, you know, guys that were able to step up this year, you had Hagen Smith who came in and was all SEC first team and all defensive team. Kendall Diggs named second team, Gage Wood, all SEC freshman team, and Tavian Yosenberger, all SEC defensive team. And so you see, you see guys that came in and, you know, have been key pieces to helping Arkansas, you know, get to where they're at right now. And then talking about, you know, Razorback players, you got to look at former Razorback, you know, player and pitcher Patrick Wicklander. You know, he the announcement was made today. He, he is promoted to the Tampa Bay's AA team the Montgomery biscuits. So he'll, he, he's made that next step up to double a baseball and, you know, we'll see what he does there as he keeps progressing through his pro career. Yeah. You mentioned that we got a couple of kids that are playing in double a right now. So just uh, skipping a breath away from being in the majors, you got obviously Heston Kerstad playing for the, uh, the Warriors affiliate. I think he's double a ball right now. And then uh, Kevin cops, I believe is in double a ball, maybe single. I can't remember. Um, but, Several, several guys that are trying to work their way up through. I know uh, Isaiah Campbell, he's playing for the Travelers right now, which is a double-A affiliate. So a lot of guys that are trying to make their way to the majors, wish those guys all the best. Yeah. And so we'll jump into some upcoming events where, you know, Arkansas men's and women's track and field will be, you know, participating in the NCAA West pre- preliminary rounds May 24th through the 27th. And then SEC tournament baseball is here where Arkansas men's baseball is being will be taking on Texas A&M in the SEC tournament tomorrow on May the 24th. You know, Texas A&M beat number or beat Tennessee today 3 to 0 where, you know, things are a little surprising that you, you see Tennessee the way they kind of you know, finished out the season, lose here in the SEC tournament, but this is conference tournament, you know, they're still going to be in the postseason play, so we'll see what happens you know, once we get to the selection day. But Arkansas will be taking on Texas A&M tomorrow. They'll be playing at 1 p.m. on SEC Network. So we'll we'll keep up with them, and hopefully, you know, we can make a run in the SEC tournament. But, you know, if not, I'm not necessarily worried about it because either way, we're going to be a top, you know, five national seed, hosting a regional. 
you know, and then, you know, we're going to stop there because I don't want to say any more and, you know, risk any jinxes or anything, but got a lot more. There's a lot more baseball left to play. I think I've seen some projections will be potentially a number two or number three national seed. Um, there's a lot of different projections out there, but obviously Wake Forest is probably going to get that number one spot. They've had a phenomenal year. Uh, but as far as our overall RPI and everything, we're, we're, I think we're pretty solid in that top four, top three range. So I'm excited to see kind of where we shake out and who all gets invited to our regional. I've seen some where we could have a, a matchup with Texas and a couple of other teams or somewhere we may have a, Oh crap! Can't, can't I've seen Oregon head, State. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's who it was. Um, so definitely some potential for some uh, big matchups, even early on in our regional. So, be a lot of exciting baseball coming this way. Very true. And so, as we'll move on, we'll give a preview here of our Hog Talk segment. And man, are you in store for a good one this week? You know, we're, we'll be talking to a former baseball player that played for Arkansas from 2016 to 2021, won the Golden Spikes Award, the Dick. The Dick Hauser Trophy the D1, was named D1 Baseball National Player of the Year. You know, his senior season in Arkansas, he was 12-1 and one with 11 saves. Had a school record uh, ERA of 0.9 in 82.2 innings of work. Was drafted in the third round, 99th overall by the San Diego Padres. And if you don't know it already, we're talking about the man himself, Kevin Copps. We're excited to welcome to this week's episode of the Hog Talk, former Razorback pitcher Kevin Copps. So let's start with you, Kevin. How's life? And you know, what are you what what are you up to nowadays? Uh, it's pretty good. Um, just kind of playing minor league baseball, Double A currently in San Antonio. Uh, days are pretty busy. Uh, Mondays are my off days, and my roommates and I usually spend it playing Mario Kart. We've actually started to dabble in. Uh, downloading programs to create our own tracks and that's what i've been doing all day <laughs> that's awesome man <laughs> you guys play on uh switches yeah we have switches <laughs> nice that's the way to go well like like seth said earlier we appreciate taking your some time out of your off day to talk with us and so we'll kind of jump in and go down memory lane a little bit a little bit and start off with kind of walk us through what your recruiting process was like in in high school and I wasn't – I only threw, like, 85, 86 in high school. It was it was kind of weird. Um, Arkansas was really the only place that gave me a chance. Um, it was a walk-on spot, um, which I'm very grateful for. I mean, I think going into it, you look at walk-on spots as, like, oh, like, kind of as a bad thing. But once you get there, you kind of realize that it's, it's not. Um, baseball kind of lacks scholarships and – um you always need those guys um like myself and my roommate Barilowski um also a really good walk on um so that was kind of interesting part I didn't even have like smaller schools or any JUCOs really reach out to me at all or get back to me um but luckily uh I I threw really well in front of uh one of the older coaches Dave Jorn and uh then Tony came out to see me, and uh, they they gave me a, a shot. And so kind of following that up, you know, we know you had a, a good long career here at Arkansas. So walk us through, you know, what was it like for you to play for Coach Van Horn? Oh, it was awesome. I think the, the best part about playing for uh, Van Horn is that he really emphasizes us growing up at the same time of playing baseball, he, he treats us very professional, but also expects us to act professional too. He doesn't just let us kind of run wild and do whatever we want. Um, there's a lot of expectations if he's going to give us like a lot of uh, professionalism in there. And so I think that was a great for me, especially the transition into pro ball. It was almost like I didn't leave Arkansas. Like you really have to get your feet under you at Arkansas and it kind of translates into pro ball in that sense. So uh, speaking of pro ball, um, we'll kind of jump ahead here a little bit, but um, you're originally from Texas, correct? So now you're playing down in San Antonio. Is that, is that kind of nice? I, I don't know really how far that is from your hometown specifically, but do you get a lot of family get to come watch you play now and stuff like that since you're maybe a little bit closer to home? 
Uh, yeah, it, it's kind of nice being here. I, I think the drive is from three to two and a half hours. I actually have a lot of family coming this weekend. I got my grandparents and my parents and my girlfriend coming up uh, this weekend. Actually, and my cousin just texted me. I think he's going to be here. So it's it's nice being close. And the other thing that's nice about being close is uh, we have a two-week homestand coming up. Plan on going home, picking up my dog, and then having him up here. I really, I really miss him. So... <laughs> I wouldn't be able to do that if I wasn't that close. That's awesome, man. That's that's good. I'm glad that's working out for you. Yeah. And so kind of flipping back to your days in Arkansas, kind of walk us through, you know, the process, you know, when you were working your back from, you know, Tommy John and what, what that process was like for you personally. Well, I think it's it kind of started my freshman year. I redshirted. Um because I wasn't throwing hard enough. I just, I just wasn't good enough. And then I kind of like clawed my way back up freshman year or my redshirt freshman year. I did well. I felt like I was kind of on the come up, like starting to do better and better. Then I had Tommy John and it felt like a, a huge step back. And it was a really, really hard time for me because like every, at the college level, all you want to do is win the world series. And, um, it was hard watching my teammates be there without me because I really wanted to be there and I really wanted them to win too. Um, but it was, it was just a really, really hard time and it made me take a step back. And I think that's when I started to kind of really further my relationship with, with God, because you have to realize that like baseball isn't me. Like these things are not me. Like at the end of the day, I had a, um, a guy tell me like he asked me what the coolest part about me was and I didn't have an answer for him and he was like the coolest part about you is that um is that you're a Christ follower like that's ultimately at the end of the day that will always be the coolest thing about you so that was kind of like the biggest moment I think in that Tommy John and then through that it helped me persevere through the ups and downs of after surgery like I don't think people really know this but you get to play a year after or it's like a 12-month recovery but that year after you're still recovering it really takes two years to really get your feet back on you so or back under you and um I think that relationship with God is what kind of helped me through those really high highs and those low lows to help me like even myself out for the rest of my career that's an awesome story man I I've I've had moments like that in my my life for sure. So I, I understand where you're coming from. I've definitely never had it maybe on on a big stage like that. But I think everybody goes through their own struggles and those high highs and low lows. And it's definitely always a, a good thing to hear a testimony like that. Yeah. And then so kind of, you know, you worked your way back and then it's, you know, fast forward to, you know, 2021 and, and you know, you've kind of in a sense really made a name for yourself. Um, and so what was it like for you when you started getting the phrase in in the season, well, it's time to call the cops, you know, for you to come in for relief? To be honest, I didn't think about it. I don't think I let myself enjoy it. I don't I just didn't think about it at all. I felt like I I have really high expectations for myself always. Um and it can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. Um, but in in the moment, I didn't think about it at all. I just felt like I had a job. I just tried to win the game. I didn't think about anything else. Um, I really didn't think about the gold spikes. I really didn't think about how I was doing. Um, and part of that is um, there was a moment where my ERA was really low. I hadn't given up a run in a, a long time. And I had seen my ERA, which I don't like looking at. And so I went out against Tennessee for the SEC tournament with my ERA in the back of my mind. First batter I faced, home run. And I just felt a wave of relief, just a wave of relief. And then I just went back to work and got through the rest of the inning. Nobody scored after that. And it was just like. I remember that game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like, <laughs> just like grounding yourself. Like I said, like. It's hard. I mean, and not just baseball and life and everything, just making sure you're grounded and and God helps you 
to avoid those moments, to realize that those moments don't matter. And you really need those, those um, kind of that, that stoicness in, in times in your life, no matter what it is. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. Um, speaking of some of those memorable games like that, I mean, do you have a, a game that sticks out to you in your head that that's one of your, you know, your favorite memories, whether it was, you know, at bomb or maybe away or tournament game, something like that, uh, where the crowd was really into it or just something that really stuck out to you as a memorable moment? Um, I think my favorite or one of my favorite, I think I have a lot, um, but specifically that year, one of my favorite games was, uh, I think it was game two. It had to be game two against Florida. Um, I came in to close it out. Um, Welch hit like, uh, I don't, it was, I can't remember if it was a walk-off or a go-ahead home run. Um, to help us win the SEC conference title entirely. And then that night too, they had fireworks. So it just kind of felt like a, it felt like a movie moment uh, to me. So I think that would be, that would be my favorite game. I think I remember that game you're talking about. I remember seeing different um, people putting his big home run hit to the sound of the Titanic music. It was like, you're saying that movie moment, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I love seeing all the the memes and all the short little videos that people are making during the season. That was that was one of my favorite parts too. That was a crazy game. <laughs> this is kind of a funny story, and I'll try to keep it short. But I was at I was at my house watching that game. I remember that one specifically, and uh, me and my wife, um, we were you know really into it. I remember Charlie hitting. I think it was in like the eighth inning, I think, and it was a three run go ahead shot or something like that. I mean, it was just a missile. And uh, we were screaming so loud in the house and we didn't realize it, but there was apparently some, some police officers outside our house chasing an escaped convict. <laughs> and they heard, we were screaming so loud in our house, they actually heard us. And there were a few houses down trying to find this guy or something. And they actually like ran down to our house and were like beating on our door with guns drawn and stuff. And we were opening up the door like, whoa, 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 you know. <laughs> and uh they were like we, we could hear you guys screaming we thought he might have been trying to get in your house we're like what are you talking about the hogs just won well that's what we're screaming about we didn't even have a clue what was going on in our neighborhood but it was a wild story so that that game i really remember that one too for sure <laughs> yeah so it's hard to go on a tangent there <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's crazy but kind of now thinking about it fast forward and you know, walk us through like what the draft process was like for you and, you know, how that went for you. Um, I still didn't really know what to expect just because I was, uh, older. Um, <laughs> I, but I kind of had an idea of when I was going to go. Um, and even, even like knowing I'm going to go higher knowing it's going to be okay, there was still a huge wave of anxiety for some reason. Um, it's just, I think in the moments, it's like like that, like I was saying, it's like I was ungrounded, having a hard time trusting um, and just kind of getting over those, those that anxiety. Um, but uh, when I got called in the third round, um, I was super excited, excited to be at the, go with the Padres, excited to be here. Um, and I think my favorite moment was uh, my parents. I didn't expect it. Um, my parents like teared up, started crying, like gave me a big hug. I think that was a really special moment for all of us. I can definitely understand that. I, uh, my parents are some of my biggest supporters too. So it, they're always very vocal about how proud they are or how disappointed they are sometimes. And it just kind of depends on the situation, but I know that was definitely a special moment. I'm sure and something you'll remember for a long time, but it's always nice to see the the parents kind of, I, I don't want to say get a little bit of like payback for a good raising, but if that makes sense, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. Something they can kind of puff their chest out for <laughs> Yeah, yeah, especially like your parents, everybody's parents or your parents in general invest a lot into their kids. Um and so I think it's it's really nice for them to see see their kids uh succeed in whatever way that is.
very true. Yeah. Well, speaking of the draft process, um, now that you're you're in the minors, um, kind of walk us through how your season's going, how you feel about yourself currently, and got any highlights that you want to share with us about playing in the minors? Um, this season's gone. Uh, I think last season I was I started to search in again, but this season I've I've found myself uh, again. Um, I've been feeling really good about this season. Um, uh, my velo, I mean, highlights, I guess, is my velo has been up to 96. Um, my cutter is 88, 90. Curveball has been up to 85, which I guess is all pluses. I just need to kind of dial it in more. I think the biggest difference between like double A and the big leagues is the big leaguers still throw more strikes than all of us. It's really, it's really interesting. The more I'm in here, the more I learn all the time. And uh, you can really tell um, there's, there's a difference. Like we do good here and we do, we do our job. But when you look at like everybody's stats, it's like our end zone percentage is lower. And like when a big leaguer comes and rehabs here, I've seen a couple of them. You can just notice that they're just constantly in the zone, in the zone, in the zone. Um, I think that's one of the the bigger things I've learned, but I'm I'm really optimistic. I think uh, I think I'm kind of piecing that part of my uh, career together currently. Keep throwing that cutter, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's famous. <laughs> I'll never forget. I think it was after. Uh, heck, I think it was after. I can't remember if it was after you guys won the SEC tournament or you might have been one game shy of it at that point you had a you had an interview after one of those late night games with a couple of the sec hosts and you're showing your grip on how you throw that cutter and stuff and i distinctly remember that interview and i was like man that's such a cool guy he's so chill to be that much <laughs> of a killer out there on the field you seem so level-headed even back then so a lot of respect for that man <laughs> thank I you say, i remember that interview you're talking about and they're they're just i think all in shock at like the amount of spin that you're able to put on that <laughs> the swing and miss the, the whiff percentage back then was just stupid i don't think anybody really seen anything like that up until then and now everybody's trying to throw cutters <laughs> <laughs> yeah even now even now that's kind of the goes pitch nobody mine's more of like a gyro slider but right even now a lot of guys are trying to uh, learn cutters and speaking of a lot of spin mine mine do spin a lot like her ball and cutter Probably in 29, I don't know if you'll – this spins around 2,900, which is a lot. Um, That's like the top 2%. Out. That's way up there. <laughs> I think always, everybody else is around like 2,500 RPM, so you're – Yeah, yeah, usually. Way up there. Yeah. And I've always wondered why uh, why certain guys spin the ball more than others, and um, I don't think I have an answer yet. I think another guy that's, that's way up there on their spin rate is uh, uh, Brady Tiger. I remember correctly he's he's way up there up in the 28 29 3000 rpm range depending on what he's throwing but yeah you can tell on that on that off speed when he throws it just kind of it zips filthy, down dude. it just yeah. disappears it's absolutely filthy but so you're you're currently with the missions and i know i think back earlier in the season you you got to i believe you had a series here against the naturals correct uh, last year, yes. Last year, and then so so, what was that like for you to be back in Northwest Arkansas? Did you have a huge turnout of Arkansas fans coming to just see you play? Yeah, actually, more than I was expecting. Um, it's funny. Um, well, for, first off, there was there was a huge turnout. It almost felt it felt like a home game. Um, they played. They started playing Heat Waves when I came in, and then they Rick rolled it, uh, which I thought was pretty funny. That's but, awesome. Um, I actually had an umpire come up. Well, I was in Tulsa this year. I had an umpire come up to me. Um, it was like, are you going back to Arkansas this year? And I was like, were you there? And he was like, yeah, that was hilarious. He's like, it was a home game for you. It's like the crowd just switched when you came in the game. Um, but yeah, that was a really, a really cool experience. Um, it Another actually funny moment in that series. Uh, the last time I threw it was the last game. Um, and of course there were a lot of fans there and someone else was starting to warm up and then our coach called down and said 
give the people what they want, put Kevin in the game. And I had to start warming up to go in the ninth inning. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, it's cool though. Those those moments like that are the ones you really remember, man. <laughs> well, we won't take up a whole whole lot more of your time. We want to get your take on kind of how this this season's going for the Razorbacks. Do you got have you had any time to keep up with any of the games and kind of see where they're at this year and what are your thoughts? Yeah, I've been keeping up with it. Um it's hard to watch all the games because I'm usually playing um while they're playing, but I've been keeping up. Um they look they look pretty solid. Um I'm excited to see, especially towards the end of the season. At the beginning of the season, I was like, it, I feel like this is every year, like being in Arkansas. Everybody's always unsure at the beginning of the season. Um, you always have new guys. Who's going to step up? Is somebody going to step up? And like at the beginning of the season was normal, like what's oh, going to happen? Um, but I, I never think too much on it, of it. But like as the season kind of kept going, they started rolling and rolling and rolling more. And I think it's going to look pretty good for them. And I'm excited to see what they do in the postseason. And so I know, yeah. Oh, you're good. I was going to say, just, you know, I know it happened, you know, the year you were there, that year, last year with Arkansas. So, so was it kind of, you know, in your mind, what should it tell people that, you know, they announced it today? Coach Van Horn won SEC Coach of the Year this year. You know, he won it that year last year there. What is that kind of, you know, for you, tell you about him and what people should understand, what that means as far as for a coach? I think people should understand that there's a reason like people aren't in there with them. I'm not in there with them anymore. Um, I mean, I was, I was lucky to be around it a lot. Um, I think people should understand that there's like, a, there's a reason that he's winning. There's a reason that he doesn't get frustrated. There's a reason that he doesn't panic when things aren't going well. Um, he does a really good job at that. Even when we have like a tough loss, when we had a tough loss there, he never panicked um he's just a really smart man with with a really good head on the shoulders leading leading a good group of young men he's like um he's just like a lion just leading his pack and that's all you need you need just a strong leader doesn't matter what kind of army you have as long as you have a lion uh leading you and you'll be fine pretty good analogy (laughs) i think everybody could probably get behind that I think we have too many fans in the Razorback fan base that, that freak out anytime we lose. It's like, guys, this is baseball. That's going to happen. I mean, you, you can't win every one of them. And you're going to – it's it's kind of been rough this year. A couple of the games that I've watched where we've won eight innings and we've had one really bad inning and that might cost us the game. But, like, people got to put in perspective, you know. Um, that one inning isn't always going to cost you. Most of the time it's not going to. So as long as you can kind of – survive those those one or two bad innings a game and, and I really think we're a better team than most of doing that you know you're, you're going to have more success than failure I think Van yeah, and puts we, us in a good position for that yeah and when you have those when you have those rough outings or rough innings uh you, the team learns from it especially when you have a coach like Van Horn that doesn't panic like it really eases the tension with all the guys I was about to say, I think you see a lot of it, too, this year, you know, the way, you know, just how he's been able to navigate the season due to all the injuries. I mean, just the way he's been able to put the right pieces in the right places to, you know, essentially, like you mentioned, turn the season around from the kind of rocky start they had at the beginning of the year. Yeah, yeah, it's a I didn't even notice it and I'm nowhere close to being able to do. Uh, what he does or any manager does but it's it's really a chess match and I don't think a lot of people realize that and even being in the game it's hard for me to to be aware of it but it's just one big chess match yeah that's that's pretty true I think a lot of people are are uh, too quick to to judge in hindsight I mean hindsight's 2020 be like oh why did he pull this picture and put this picture in and why did he do this or that nine times out of ten he's making the right decision there it's that one time out of 10 that maybe something doesn't quite work out that everybody wants to, you know, jump on him for. And it's like, guys, put yourself in his shoes and you make the wrong decision a lot more often than he does. Like he, he really is one of the best coaches in college baseball, if not baseball in general. And I don't think enough people appreciate him for that. So all y'all listeners out there, y'all listen to me on that one. Okay. <laughs> As I say, just remember, you know, we're still, 
co-champions of the SEC this year with one in the West, you know, that's still not so that's not an easy feat to do at all. No. No, no. Uh, especially doing it as often as we do it. We're always with Van Horn, we've always been at the top of the West, at the top of the conference. And that's I mean, just look at the uh Mississippi schools, like they they win and now they're struggling, but Van Horn is very consistent, which is very hard to do, like you said. Definitely a testament to to him. And I really you gotta give a lot of praise to the coaches around him. I mean, Hobbs and Thompson, all those guys. I mean, there's there's a lot of guys behind the scenes there that work their butts off every day to help develop, help recruit. I mean, it's a it takes a a uh, village, I guess, as they say, but it's like, yeah, I saw where, you know, a clip today of them, you know, telling him he won. And he said, you know, coming from Van Horn, he was just like, you know, they should call this SEC coaching staff of the year because he's like, none of the success for me would happen without any of the, the, these other guys here talking about the whole coaching staff with Hobbs, you know, Nate Thompson, Warnes, and all the other guys that you don't really get a lot of publicity. But he said, you know, without these guys, this wouldn't be possible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that just like they're all the relationships together, you know, there's so much trust between the coaches. And um, I think that's important. And, um, you know, Van Horn can't do it himself. I mean, he puts all the pieces together and he just trusts that they work and whether they're working smoothly. And uh, just like it's baseball, you just got to trust what you're doing. Pretty true. Well, hey, Kevin, I don't think we have a whole lot more questions. and We really appreciate your time tonight, man. Thank you so much for hopping on with us. Caleb, you got any follow-ups, buddy? No, just kind of like what you said, we appreciate you taking the time, especially on your off day. But, you know, maybe, you know, depending on your your um, how your season's going, who knows, maybe you'll have time to watch some Arkansas postseason baseball, hopefully on that road to Omaha. <laughs> I think I can make some time for that. I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks, man. Hey, go kick some butt in Mario Kart, okay? <laughs> okay, thanks. <I> will. <laughs> Have a good evening, buddy. Y'all too. So we'll thank you for turning it, tuning in and listening today, this week's episode of the Whoopig Weekly Podcast. You know, as always, we appreciate you listening, and we'll catch you next week.